You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, your host. And today I've got a special treat for you. There's a hot topic in business circles, has been around for several years now, and it's called emotional intelligence. It's a subject a lot of people don't really understand. Those that do kind of have perhaps been doing it for a long time and are continuing their growth and being better at it and with it. But my guest today is a gentleman who has um, made a business out of teaching, coaching, and helping people learn ways to improve and embrace emotional intelligence. His name is David Corey. David, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Doug. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, as is a bit of a tradition here on the show, give us a little bit of your backstory, David. What's your career journey been like and what led you into the work you're doing now? Sure. Uh, so I've always been fascinated with how people learn. Uh, and uh, my mother will say that I was a natural born teacher. Uh, I would teach people whatever whatever I could think of to teach them. Uh, I worked at a summer camp in summers and taught people how to horseback ride and uh, and uh, and various other outdoor activities. And then uh, all through high school, I taught guitar. Uh, you can see by my background there that uh, uh, that uh, I'm a guitar player and uh, and a performer. Uh, and uh, and then when I finished high school school I went and taught uh, I went and taught downhill skiing in in the uh, uh, in the Canadian Rockies and then over in uh, in the the European Alps well wow. uh, and so it was natural for me to go into education and uh, and I but I I wasn't keen on the school system and being in the school system and so I thought where else can I use my education uh, about education and it turns out the workplace is a wonderful place for educators to be uh, people uh, employees need to learn things, managers need to learn things. And uh, so I turned my attention to the workforce and I was teaching leadership courses uh, for a post-secondary institution. Uh, and I noticed that it was really interesting that we assumed that managers have a basic level of personal and interpersonal skills. And there we were teaching them conflict resolution and performance management, knowing that some of them were going to be able to use those skills and others were going to struggle. They And I didn't know what the difference maker was until I learned about this concept of emotional intelligence. When I learned about it, I quit my job. I started this company. Uh, I put up a website and I uh, saying, you know, that I taught emotional intelligence uh, and the call started coming in from all over the world and they they never stopped uh right up until covid happened uh and so i've had the opportunity to uh to offer leadership development based on the concept of emotional intelligence this is our 25th year i'm proud to say uh and uh, so we've been doing it longer than most and uh, uh we certainly have had many many interesting opportunities as a result that's awesome. Well, again, as I kind of said in the intro, emotional intelligence is a topic that hits the has hit the business world, especially in leadership training and leadership development programs everywhere. I think they all somewhere somehow have a module at least about emotional intelligence and it's it's a challenge that many are embracing to understand and and learn how to grow. So, 
um, I, I think what I would like to do is start with maybe what emotional intelligence is not. Uh, what are some of the misconceptions you hear along the way when you first engage with someone who wants to have a discussion? Sure. Uh, I think some of the misconceptions out there, Doug, are that emotional intelligence is about being nice or it's about being kind. Uh, or some people think that it's about, uh, about being warm and fuzzy or group hugs. Uh, and, uh, and we have to really, uh, encourage people to think differently. Uh, one of the things that, that probably if I have a pet peeve about, uh, about emotional intelligence, uh, it is uh, about uh, the idea that emotional intelligence is a thing. That it's uh, it's something off to the side, and it's kind of like a nice to have, or it's uh, you know maybe we'll do that at some point where we'll look into that. Uh, but what we need to understand uh, is that uh, emotional intelligence is the way our brains work that we do not process logic and reason in an emotional vacuum. Uh, we process uh, logic and reason in, uh, in, in an environment that is rife with emotions. Our bodies are constantly giving us feedback on our environment, constantly giving us data. Uh, and unless we know what that data is for and how to process that data, then we're overlooking valuable information that's going to help us navigate uh, our lives more effectively. And of course, uh, it, the, the orientation to the workplace is that it's going to help us to be a better leader, to be a better team member, to be a better customer service person. Uh, and this applies to every uh, job role that you can imagine that emotional intelligence by developing the skills of emotional intelligence can make you more effective. So if I'm hearing you right, the connection is, but just breaking down the phrase, the intelligence part is about knowing what to do and how to process the emotions you are experiencing. Is that it in a nutshell? In fact, the the word intelligence means the capacity for purposive behavior. And if we think about that, how do we act on purpose? How do we uh, create an intentional life? How do we do what we really want to do? We have to overcome all the emotions that go with that. Uh, the original intelligence researchers didn't think about that. Uh, and the, the original IQ test was developed by Alfred Binet to test the effectiveness of the French school system. So of course, what it measures is reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's what our school systems are based on. Uh, but what it doesn't measure uh, is whether we procrastinate or not, whether we avoid uh, solving problems, whether we have unconscious bias, uh, whether we get overwhelmed and feel anxious when we're asked to uh, to 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 tackle a tough uh, tough problem, whether we have the ability to speak up and have a difficult conversation with someone uh, that we're in a relationship with, Th those have not been traditionally part of intelligence. Uh, and so, this idea that there's IQ on one hand and EQ on the other—that's balderdash. Uh, that's not the way our brains work. Uh, our, if if there's EQ and IQ they work together in concert. And so right. those are parts of our brains to be sure that are more and less responsible for those different activities, but they work together in concert uh, or uh, we're not as effective as we could be. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe just to break it down into even simpler terms, when you talk about that emotional or, or that our brains don't work in an emotional vacuum, quite the contrary, there's plenty of emotion. 
I think about sort of the baseline, very low-level response, kind of the classic Maslow hierarchy. If if we're threatened, we get in a fighter flight mode well that's an emotional response that's a that that it can be manifested obviously with physical activity but ultimately it it's rooted in that emotional sense i'm not safe anymore i need to do something and you know that's that's a whole emotional thing so being able to process that you know when the subject of emotional intelligence comes up i'm i'm going to confess to the public here that I have a I have one little data card in my brain memory. There was many many years ago, I was a good husband and used to watch the TV show The Bachelor with my wife. And as classic Bachelor uh, themes play out, two ladies on the show were having a particular hard fight, personality clash. They hated each other, didn't like each other, and one of them was especially non she would definitely be rated on the low end of the eq scale uh, without taking the test just everything she said did it was obvious by classic eq standards she was pretty low on that scale and one of the this girl she was having a conflict with happened to be a psychologist by trade and at one point of conflict this psychologist person actually said to this other you have a low emotional intelligence and the girl took it to mean, are you telling me I'm stupid? And then it all went off in a whole, you know, horribly different. So my point is, I, when this subject comes up, I can't help but have that little snippet of that episode flash through my mind. And, and, and it, it typifies, in, in many cases, the misunderstanding of what EQ and EI might be. And on the other hand, it proves that there is a scale, and depending on who and what we are and what our experiences have been, we fall somewhere on that scale of proficiency with it. So um, I'll give you a very simple emotional intelligence uh, test that you can use with your uh, with your friends and your family and your colleagues. Uh, now, just uh, uh, close your eyes for a moment and imagine that person in your mind. Now, do they make a room better by entering it or leaving it? And 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 there there you have your answer. Uh, I, I mean, what what is it that that causes some people to make a room better by entering it? Uh, we look forward to seeing them. We enjoy their company. Uh, they they seem to spread positivity wherever they go. Um, they're just good energy. They're good people. What is that? How do we learn that? And and really, if you think about that, where we learn it, we probably learn it from our parents. Uh, or if we didn't have parents, we had significant caregivers of some kind. And those parents, they taught us to, to see, to view ourselves as worthy and deserving. And, and they told us that we belong and that we were loved or they didn't or, or any one of a number of different uh, ways that they taught us. They, they taught us to, uh, uh, to express ourselves and say what it is that we want, what it is that we need. Um, uh, they, they didn't tell us, uh, uh, don't cry. They said, cry. If that's, if that's what you're, how you're feeling right now, let it out. Uh, and they, they may have comforted us or, but they certainly didn't shut us down, uh, or tell us that our feelings weren't valid or real. Um, uh, and, and when, when we're invited to be able to be in touch with our emotions and express those in the right way at the right times, um, uh, then we, we, we get more, uh, in tune with our own emotions and, and better able and skilled 
uh, in expressing them. And what you and uh, you and me are at a disadvantage, Doug, because my guess is that when you were little, uh, as was as was I, we were told that big boys don't cry. Uh, and if you're taught that big boys don't cry and you believe it, uh, then you start to disregard your emotions. You start to think that emotions uh, may be not uh, very important for me as a male. Uh, and um, uh, we even, uh, in a way, we dissociate ourselves from our emotions in order to do certain things. Uh, and um, uh, it really puts at us, at us at a disadvantage when it comes to relationships, because now we meet someone who maybe have been encouraged, may have been encouraged courage to express their emotions and be in touch with their emotions. And that person um, uh, says, you know, how are you feeling? And we say, uh, I don't know. Fine, I guess. Good. <laughs> right. uh, uh, and, and, and because we've not been encouraged to be in touch with our emotions and, and, and express our emotions and own our emotions, uh, we have a weird relationship with emotions. That, what that means is we're going we're gonna to not have deep, meaningful, connected relationships of trust with other people as a result. And so, uh, again, uh, everything depends on emotion. Uh, the relationships that we have, the way we communicate, the way we connect with others. Uh, whether we listen to each other uh, or not it is all depending on our skill with emotions and, and, and understanding them. So I, I agree with you totally in that experience. And yes, I'm of the generation where plenty of people were told, you know, big boys don't cry. You, you need to bracket your emotions or tamp them down or or shut them off or whatever fortunately i I'm, I'm i've said this many times before my my mother was quite different in that regard and very nurturing and very supportive and um we never had that talk at my house you know that whole thing you know it, it there was an opportunity to express and you know many times the discussions where i can tell you're upset what's you know what's going on and it was genuine and it was men it wasn't a trap question it was it was a genuine effort to bring things into the light of day and as uh, you know we're taught to know the truth and the truth will set you free and and that was always a, a very willing environment well, uh, but that said let's let's shift gears into the business leadership context and so as as you work with company leaders owners and founders what what are some of the things they're looking for when they reach out and say teach me eq yeah, there, there are a number of motivations uh, for contacting our company. Uh, probably the, the, the biggest one uh, is wanting to be more intentional about the evolution from the old uh, hierarchical, uh, autocratic, authoritarian way of running things to a more collaborative, inclusive, participative partnering with with others to get work done. Uh, and, and when organizations realize that they can't just uh, make it so, uh, they actually have to give people resources and develop, help people to develop the skills to be able to do that, uh, then, they're, then they're looking for emotional intelligence skills. They're looking for those foundational skills, uh, which, which is about uh, confidence and, uh, and, and it's about expression. It's about being open. Uh, we, we encourage managers to express their emotions Emotions and they say, why do I need to express my emotions to my employees? And the reason is trust. Uh, if we don't trust, we don't know. And if you don't express your emotions to me, I can't really know you. 
So I need to know what is it that you like? What is it that you don't like? What are, what are your hopes and dreams? What are your worries and fears? And when we start to express those and really get to know each other, uh, then, hey, uh, I'm in your corner and I got your back and I'll be there for you. I will show up for you uh, if you're authentic with me. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. People fear authenticity. It's like, well, if people just really knew what was going on in this messed up head of mine, they wouldn't <laughs> want to be around me. And it's absolutely the opposite. When we take the when we have the courage to be vulnerable with others, people say, wow, thank you for sharing that with me. I, I feel privileged uh, that you have honored me with what's real for you, with, with your truth. Uh, and we, we connect. Uh, there's trust. Uh, we, we do things with executive, senior executive teams that, that, uh, uh, that when we tell people we're going to do it, uh, they say, no, we're not doing that. So we don't tell them we're doing it. We just do it. And when they do it, they say afterwards, they say, if you told me we were going to do that today, I never would have come to this session, but I'm so glad I did. I feel this real incredible connection with my colleagues that I never had before. I feel like we know each other better. We, we're, there's this, this uh, kind of uh, connection, uh, which we're all looking for, which we all desire. Uh, people will say, oh, I have friends. I don't need any more friends. I don't want any more friends. Uh, I got plenty of friends. Well, well, we all need friends. We all, and you can't have too many friends. And my guess is you can deepen the friendships, the relationships with the people that you have if you share more of yourself with them, more of what is authentic and what is true and what is real. We're, we're all attracted to true and real, and we're repelled by fake and, and inauthentic. Yeah. Uh, and when people understand that and practice it, uh, they they get to reap the benefits. But you got to choose to uh, to reap the benefits. You know, I, as you say that, I'm reminded of an engagement I had with one of the a very large global brand, and they were uh, dominant in engineering and science and. The um, C-suite had rallied together and said, you know, it's quite possible we're not going to be the company for the new generation to want to work for because of our legacy of very old school, rigid, author authoritarian, I'll get it out, uh, command and control style leadership. They embarked on a journey to really define a whole new culture that would be opening and uh, appealing to younger people entering the workforce. And one of the big things that impacted leadership as this framework was published and socialized, number one, the words that were in the definition of where they wanted to go needed to be agreed upon by everybody because you could just read the words and in a room of 12, you could get 12 different answers of what that meant and what that was possible. But underpinning all of that was the tradition of the legacy and the, and the lens that people were looking through when they were trying to embrace this. But um, the parallel data point that came out in some engagement surveys they had done internally was the one of the overwhelming requests from the rank and file was I want my manager to be relatable and everybody's way too stoic. 
that's not relatable. And yet, it was when you started really peeling the layers, it was like, well, this layer said that about that layer, that layer said it about the layer above them, the layer above that, and so on and so on. And it was just an incredible irony in in the way the thing stacked out. Uh, absolutely, Doug. Uh, and uh, as you know, a culture uh, uh, is the set of unwritten rules that uh, that govern behavior uh, in an organization, in a country, in a particular particular ethnic background, uh, uh, culture. And and you 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 probably know what Peter Drucker said about culture. Culture eats eats strategy for breakfast, right? It's that that you can have the best strategy in the world, but if your culture doesn't support the implementation of that strategy, um, you're not going to be as effective. So we need to we need to shape culture to what we want. And if you listen to employees and employee surveys, they're they're saying they want a, they want a place where they feel like they belong, uh, where they are included, uh, a place that has uh, a level of transparency about its operations and dealings. Uh, they they want psychological safety, uh, and uh, psychological safety was popularized by a, a woman named Amy Edmondson, the Harvard Business Harvard Business Professor, uh, who wrote an article in Harvard Business Review about psychological safety, uh, Google quite independently did a study of 160 different high-performing teams looking for what, what is the single biggest factor in high performance, uh, and uh, they called it Project Aristotle. Um, they found the single biggest factor was psychological safety, and then Amy Ebenson wrote in her book, The Fearless Organization, uh, many managers don't have the emotional intelligence to create psychological safety, uh, and, and so, so what is emotional intelligence, uh, and how can we get more of it? We have to look at the models that talk about emotional intelligence as a set of skills and competencies that that are all learned that we can learn better uh, to be to become more effective and and the one that we use was one created in the early 80s by dr reuven bar own uh, it's uh, it was published as the uh, the online emotional quotient inventory by multi health systems out of toronto canada uh, and this this model is a is the most comprehensive uh, most scientifically validated model of emotional skills um, that that, uh, that that helps companies to be effective and the biggest most progressive companies on the planet are basing their leadership development programs on this tool, the Emotional Quotient Inventory, and its companion, the EQ360, the, the multi-rater version. Well, I'm, I'm very familiar with that Project Aristotle at Google that you referred to. In fact, that was one of the key uh, research reports that I used in my last book that was dedicated to defining a system for building trusted work. And it um, that whole idea of psychological safety, ultimately, when you read the verbiage around it, it's good old-fashioned trust. Can, can you build an environment of trust? And not just it's not just about employees trusting the bosses and vice versa, which is significant, but it's about everybody trusting each other. And whether that's modeled and enforced and encouraged by the leaders or whether it's somehow organic, which is even better, but it, it is so important to uh, be able to achieve that level of greater performance. And one of the things I talk about in, in my book is that the reason trust at work is important 
employees can all show up. We and we all human beings show up this way. We have two opportunities, two gears that we work in. The first gear is baseline. We've we've been taught what our job description is. I'm I'm in agreement. I'm going to go do that so that I can get my paycheck and my benefits and my reward and all that. But then there's another gear that is the discretionary effort I'm willing to give. That's my 110% kind of thing, or that's my extra effort, stay late, come in early, whatever. Part of the Google study indicated that with the high trust and the high psychological safety, everybody on those team teams were operating in that second gear, that discretionary effort gear, where they were agreeing to cover each other, you know, stuff would be going on on the team and somebody would go into the boss and say, hey, George, Sally had to go out and take care of their kid. I got their stuff covered. You, you don't have to worry about it. And so the leader didn't even have to intervene. There, there was this sort of automatic collaboration and cooperation and, and support of each other. And that just fueled more growth and it created a momentum wheel. And I talk about that in my book, that when you start building this trust environment, you're going to build a momentum in your business that is hard to deny. Uh, absolutely, Doug. Uh, and uh, and it, it's not enough to give someone your book. Uh, they also need some coaching and some training and they need some <laughs> individual self-assessment and some self-reflection. Uh, and, and these are the things that, that we provide. So uh, companies hire us to uh, to give people the the uh, the assessment tool for EQ. Um, then then we, we develop self-awareness around where is my EQ right now anyway? It's an inventory by the way, not a test. Uh, and with the inventory, we're taking stock. We're seeing what's there. What what have you already developed? Because we've all developed uh, a lot of this already. Uh, and then what's missing? What, what are the missing pieces? Where do we need to zero in and focus our development efforts, uh, which we do by through one-to-one -one coaching and group sessions? The group sessions are there for leaders to talk about the importance to the company. Well, how, how does this relate to our strategic plan? Uh, you know, we've got these beautiful words in a plaque up behind the, you know, framed behind the reception area. What are we doing to provide employees with the skills and the knowledge to be able to implement uh, and achieve uh, those, those beautiful words? Absolutely. So with that said, uh, can someone in a management role actually provide leadership to the team if they are carrying a low emotional intelligence capacity or, or low score on the on the assessment or low inventory can they still be effective leaders in what they're doing well, well, you know they can, Doug, and they do in companies all over the world right now. But what they're doing is they're not giving employees what they're looking for. Uh, and uh, what that means is that employees are looking elsewhere. So they're, they're, they're look, searching their phones for other jobs while they should be in a meeting. They, they turn their cameras off. Doug, uh, if you've if you've ever known uh, a meeting uh, which is using Teams or Zoom, and someone's got their camera off, that person's disengaged. They they are no longer there. Um, they might as well not even be on the call. Uh, so it's not acceptable. And we tell leaders, listen, if you're running a virtual meeting, uh, it is not acceptable for anyone to have their camera off. Uh, everybody's got a camera. You can always rig up something, figure out something. And so, so, so you have a messy apartment. Who cares? Find a blank wall, 
simple and, and make that your background. Everybody can do it. Right. Uh, and then think of ways to engage every single employee in that meeting. Uh, ask a question which engages them right from the start. Do a check-in. Go around and make sure that everybody participates. Uh, we have to tell people that your voice matters. Your contribution is important. You matter. You're important. Uh, and uh, this was a challenge during COVID when people were working remotely. People didn't check in enough. People didn't check in on people. People didn't ask, how are you doing? Uh, and sincere, in a sincere way and really listen to the answers. So we had people who struggled during during the the, uh, the lockdown and the right. the isolation. Uh, and it didn't have to be that way. We've got the technology, uh, you know, it feels like we're in the same room, Doug. We're, I know we're not. Um, uh, and it's different when we're in the same room. Yeah, it's nicer. Yeah, absolutely. But let's leverage the technology that we right. have. Right. I, I agree with you. And much of the coaching I did during COVID, I had leaders asking me, well, how much should I talk to my people? And I, I would say, are you kidding me? <laughs> what? Is that a question? Um, you know, it, 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 and my answer was, well, you need to ask them how much they want you to talk to them. Because I can guarantee you some people are going to respond and say, you know, boss, no, I got it. We got a good relationship. I'm okay. You know, once a week or twice, once every two weeks, just the one-on-one -on -one is going to be fine. But then there's other people that, uh, number one, they were feeling very disconnected, very disengaged and, and very lost in that uh, journey through the pandemic and they needed the connection from the boss you know they they it, and it wasn't that they were being bad employees they just they were hungry for that connection and so that they they could be told whether or not their work was meeting the mark and you know was it okay did they need to do something different people genuinely cared for that and if the bosses were silent and, and just doing their weekly team meeting or biweekly meeting, people were hungry for that connection and, and that feedback. So I always encourage leaders, I said, communication has to rise to the top of the stack here in what you're doing with your teams to maintain clarity, maintain focus, maintain understanding, learning, whatever. And, you know, people would immediately say, well, but we have so much going on on Zoom. Everything's a Zoom call. And I, the last thing I want to do is add another one. And I said, but it's an important one. You, you better have that one and you better know what that is and let them tell you what the cadence needs to be. Uh, absolutely, Doug. And, and to, to your earlier question, um, you know, the, these leaders, they, um, uh, they come about their lack of leadership skills, honestly, because uh, still today in the world, we overly focus on technical skills. And so people get into positions of management and leadership uh, based on their technical skills, and nobody's ever taught them differently. And so, right. so, uh, so another reason that people call us, uh, Doug, is uh, aside from the, you know, intentional cultural change that they that they might want or or like in the organization uh, they call us because they've got someone that they can't afford to lose because of their technical skills but they can't afford to keep them because of the way they treat people uh, and so my my first question is always are they open to coaching and if they're open to coaching then we'll work with them uh, and the biggest most dramatic turnabout that I've ever seen was a guy uh, who was an autocratic authoritarian leader came by that honestly through his officer training in the military uh, and um, uh, he didn't know 
uh, that how he was affecting and impacting other people. And when we did a 360 and he read their comments, he said, I do not want to be that guy. Uh, we set about to, to change that for him by uh, taking a structural, uh, systematic approach to looking at his, uh, his skills. Uh, and uh, after a year, he wanted to do the 360 again. He wanted to see uh, whether they, whether he had managed to change people's perceptions of him. And he had, he was so happy to see uh, that uh, people had acknowledged and recognized his hard work, but that was a choice and a lot of hard work and a year's worth of coaching. So, you know, uh, people, we, and, and you've probably heard this before, Doug, people say that's, that, that's just how I am. Well, we, you and I, we always remind them, no, oh, that's how that. you choose to be. <laughs> You're choosing to be that way uh, and with awareness uh, and, and understanding the need to change, you can choose to be differently if you want. I agree. I agree. That, that That's one of my personal pet peeves when I hear somebody say that, you know, that's just the way I am. Nothing's ever going to change. It's like, oh, I'm sad for you. <laughs> um, you, you know, and to your point about that awareness that, that your leader experienced, I earlier today, I was in a coaching session. I was reminded of a story that uh, I experienced uh, several years ago. I was working with a fairly senior leader at, at a large global company, and he was lamenting some struggle with the guy above him in the organization who was right at the bumping his head on the C-suite. But the problem was this senior person always showed up as the smartest guy in the room, the, the classic, you know, proverbial smartest guy in the room. And whatever the topic was, however many people were in the room, as soon as he started talking, everybody else shut down. It was just over. Whatever collaboration, whatever coordination they were trying to achieve was just done. It was it was over. So my person was telling me about this one day, and I said, um, have you ever confronted him? And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, Let's run a hypothetical. Here, here's the script I'll give you. Next time, if you get a chance one-on-one -on -one with him, just say to him, let's call him John. Hey, John, you know, I've got an issue I'd like to bring to you. You show up in our meetings as clearly the smartest guy in the room, and everybody that I know, and myself included, we're willing to give you that title. You are brilliant. Your, your material is just off the chart. However, it impacts people poorly. It, it, it crushes our collaboration, our effort to overcome and achieve. And we just need to do something different. You know, we need to figure this out differently. And my client said, I like that. He said, I, I, I've got a four hour flight tomorrow with this gentleman on the company plane and I, I'll, I will take my moment and do that. And I went, well, that's gutsy, but okay. <laughs> You know, you're at 40,000 feet and you're, uh, you're going to have this discussion. Okay, well, good for you. And uh, so our regular two-week cycle came up. I went back in and I said, well, I'm dying to hear how did that meeting go? And he said, it was amazing. He said, I slept on your idea and I ended up pretty much using your words. I, I could not come up with any better words. So I hit him that way. And I said, well, how did he take it? And he said, Doug, you know, to be honest, I thought he was going to cry. He said he was so impacted by the grief of realizing he had stifled collaboration and cooperation. He was crushed to know that. And he told me that in 35 years, nobody's ever confronted him on that. 
and that he earnestly wanted to do it differently. And he said he wasn't making apologies, but he said, I just love what we do. I'm a, I'm a voracious consumer of data and information about what we do. I just love what we do. And my guy said, yeah, and that's my point. We know that about you. We, we respect that part and appreciate it. However, right now, the way it gets presented back to us, it just crushes everything, and we need to change that part of it. And this senior guy said, easy to do. I, I'm ready to go. I, I will do this differently. And sure enough, he did. So the point in all that is you, you never know. And I think synonymous with your story and the one I just told, I think if somebody's out there listening right now and they're struggling with that with a, with a senior boss, you, you may well take the chance to have that discussion with them. And you can do it politely. You can do it respectfully, but you, you know, can try to confront it and see what you get. Uh, and uh, to put that into EQ terms, Doug, uh, the, the person who wasn't realizing their impact on others, uh, they were struggling with empathy. Uh, and once again, imagine, Doug, we're, we're taught about empathy in school when we're tiny little kids. We, we grow up believing that it's important to pay attention to our impact on others and the fact that our actions impact people emotionally. Um, it's less likely to happen, but we don't. And so we've got people who just never really thought about it and may have even adopted some traditional beliefs like, uh, it, this is hard on you. Suck it up, buttercup. That's a traditional belief, uh, which is, which is all about a lack of empathy for, right. for the fact that it's hard for some people. Uh, a, a lot of senior leaders, as you know, Doug, they're, they're, uh, bulletproof and they expect everyone else to be. Uh, right. and it, it's just not, not fair and it's not right. So that, that guy probably had a high self regard, thought of himself as adding value everywhere he went, but he wasn't paying attention to his impact on others with a lack of empathy. Now, what the what the what your coachee needed was some good old fashioned assertiveness. Uh, now, when we when we used to when we started this business and we say you just need to go be assertive, people would look at us like, "What do you mean? Like, how do we do that?" So we came up with a model for assertiveness, uh, and, and we taught them step by step a little process map for the engineers and the scientists uh, to follow, which helps them to know how to be assertive properly, how to bring up difficult subjects, how to talk about uh, talk through difficult conversations in ways that that in that not don't ensure or guarantee, but increase the likelihood that people will listen uh, and, and hang in for that conversation, because often when we start a difficult conversation, uh, we, we say the wrong thing. We say, you make me so mad. And the answer to you make me so mad is no, I don't. Uh, or some other ridiculous disconnect where, where people are not um, uh, being real or, or being honest. Uh, the fact is that you might feel angry because of something someone did. So tell them that. Say, hey, I'm feeling angry. And this is why, because of this thing that you did. And what I'd like is for you to not do it anymore or change your behavior uh, and then enter into a dialogue about it. Uh, for you, Doug, 
Doug, it's probably the same as for me. The reason that companies contact us is because the right person has not had the right conversation with the right other person. Uh, and it's led to a, a, a disagreement, a conflict, a misunderstanding, or worse. Uh, and, the, and then uh, someone is not willing to have that conversation. So they call us to have that conversation yeah. with that person. <laughs> and I don't mind that, Doug. Uh, we say as long as there are bad bosses, we'll be in business. Uh, but really, uh, there, there's so much more that we can teach people that people can learn uh, to, to not end up in these situations. I agree. I agree totally. And, and I agree with you. The, uh, you know, the classic phrase about bad bosses is people join companies, but they quit bosses. And anyone, anyone that's been thrust into a leadership position is challenged by that. And I, I think you alluded to it earlier. And I talk about this a lot. We have this strange tradition in modern business of we take our best producer and we make them a team lead or a, a supervisor. And then voila, they're on the management track. And they've never really been prepared for it. And I've, I've had a couple of shows recently that we've recorded that talk about that. One, one, one of my guests wrote a book called Leader by Accident. He was thrust into a situation and had never, ever been in that situation as a leader with the authority and responsibility he had. And he had to work really hard to figure it out. But he had the emotional intelligence to tell the board that wanted to elevate him into this role. He said, guys, there's 12 of us in this room and 11 of you have more experience than I do doing this. Why are you asking me? And they said, we believe and here's why and, you know, go get it. And so um, he did. He and the, the first thing he told anybody that was listening and in the organization, he said, I am not the smartest guy in the room. I'm going to be relying on you and you and you and you and, you know, I'm going to be calling. So he had a very good, um, I think, healthy self-awareness of knowing where his boundaries were and was not afraid to be assertive and ask people and and encourage and talk through the matter. And wanting to learn along the way for sure, but not just sloughing it off to people, but nonetheless uh, following, you know, that lead and figuring it out the right way. So uh, absolutely, and and companies need to uh, they they need to help people to develop those skills and and that knowledge to be a more effective leader. And 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 we we say to companies, listen, you can hire us, and we'll come in and do it all for you. Or you can send your people to one of our certification courses where they get uh, certified to use the assessment tools for emotional intelligence. Uh, we have another one which is a train the trainer course uh, where people can learn to deliver workshops on emotional intelligence. So that so they 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 don't have to to uh, hire us and, and for us to do it all they can send their people to us we can give them the expertise and they can bring it back in-house and do it themselves we're a bit like home depot uh, you, you you can do it and we can help <laughs> i love that well david on that note uh, tell folks how they can get a hold of you if they're looking for more information yeah thanks doug uh you can see the sign uh, over my shoulder uh eitc uh, .ca uh, or eitrainingcompany.com uh, or David Corey Emotional Intelligence. Type any of those things into Google and you'll you'll find our website. In fact, Doug, we come up number one in a Google search for emotional intelligence training. And it's really just because we named our company the Emotional Intelligence Training Company. And we did that 
before anybody else. So, yeah. um, uh, so we, we come up without any fancy, uh, 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 you know, uh, internet search, uh, gadgetry or, uh, uh, or, or wisdom. Uh, we, we just have been there for, for so long. Well, good for you. And congratulations on uh, claiming that beachhead and, and making it um, a huge value proposition for people. So I'm going to encourage you folks. We will have all those links that David mentioned. They will be in our show notes. And please do hop down, uh, click the link and, and go there. Check out all the great resources David has. And David, one last time, thank you for sitting in. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me, Doug. It's been a pleasure. And at this point, folks, it's a reminder that we do have a video version of this show. If you're listening on your favorite streaming service, we are over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Just hop over there, subscribe to the channel if you want, give us a comment, leave us a like, whatever. We are pushing out three shows a week, so there's a lot of content coming at you, but we're happy to be here to serve you and help you become a better leader. So for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and wish you the best. Take care. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.